Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to part two with the Dean and EJ, the Books Boys. Woo! Whoa, baby! Uh, but, but first, before I do that, you're going to take another turn, PJ, because you told me you were reading an interesting magazine. Uh, that's right. So I'm reading a Speak Opsis magazine. It's basically... Not quite the first magazine yet. It's an introduction to the first magazine that's appearing in, in the winter time. And basically, these are um, real life stories. And I like the idea. It's basically um, so the company. Sorry, this company is based in um, in Georgia in Atlanta, or at least that is where the chief and editor is from. And what they've done here is that they've compiled stories or compiled real life anecdotes, essays, kind of opinions by real women. And I think it's okay. very refreshing. Even the title, Speak Up Sis, it's already saying a lot. It's saying, you know, say Sounds something. Sounds good, PJ, but if you bear with me, I think we were getting a call. Oh. Hello, you're through to Books Boys. You got Dean and PJ on the line. Who's calling? Hi, this is Angel Charmaine. I'm the oh my God! People speak up, sis. Magazine. How are y'all? Awesome. We're good. These coincidences—they never stop. PJ. <laughs> what? Well, this is crazy. And you're calling up, but we're just talk. We're just talking about you, and and the great stuff you've done. Uh, do you want to tell us more about Speak Up, Sis, and about yourself? Yeah. So first, how are y'all doing? We're good. We're ah. halfway through another another lengthy episode of. Plenty of books. I, I read too much. Controversial opinions. <laughs> nice. He, he seems to not appreciate my love for Dr. Seuss. Only if we call him after his uh, German name, Theodore Seisel, <laughs> then he kind of seems to appreciate it. Oh my goodness, Theodore. What, what about uh, <laughs> what about <laughs> yourself? Uh, you're you're amidst rain and winds and and turmoil. What? Yes, I am. Uh, right now, Hurricane Ian is flying uh, past the coast of Georgia, but I don't think I'm going to get any of that. So it's a good thing because I get to call in and talk to you all just a little bit. So thank you. We're very fortunate. For, uh, so, so tell us about the magazine. I, I think that you had mentioned when I was reading it and I was looking around the site that this is really the product of several years worth of, of labor and, and planning. So how did it all come about? Yes, yeah, so I resigned from my career in education in July of 2018. And I started a company as an entrepreneur in August of 2018. And it I created for women what I needed for myself at the time, and that was community. 
I needed a space and I needed, needed the opportunity to share some of the hard things of life that I was travailing. And so I created this space and I invited other women in so that we could have real, honest, heart-to-heart conversations. And so the magazine was born out of that. I've grassroots built the Speak Up Sis community. And so now this magazine, it's, um, I guess I can liken it to an Essence or an Ebony or a Jet magazine without the celebrity. Mm -hmm. This magazine is designed for everyday women to see themselves and to be inspired by the stories of other everyday women. And so it's been about a four-year journey to the magazine. So, oh, and and you've also written and published Mm -hmm. books. Was that before or during that? My very first book was written while I was still traditionally employed. And the other came afterwards. But that first book was sort of the do it. I call it do it scared until you can do it brave moment. And I taught literature. I read books. But just because you like to read books doesn't mean you're going to be a good author. (laughs) I I can vouch for that. I I read, you know, six books a month and I've never even attempted to write one. So I I can vouch for that. (laughs) Yes. So that was my, let me, I know there's something in me to write. I have something to say, but I don't really know how to do it. I don't really know how to go about it. And I just, I did all the research and all that good stuff. And I just stepped out there and said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I decided I'm in the midst of my journey. I'm right in the heart of it. So I wanted to write a memoir, but it's hard to write a memoir when you're still living the climax. (laughs) That's fair. So I decided there's more than one way to skin a cat and I decided to create conversational narratives. And so I tell, I remix the memoir. I tell my story in bite-sized pieces of 10 uh, short conversational pro pieces in one book. And so each book of the series includes these 10 conversational narratives where I share true stories, my life, and where I am currently yeah. in my life, things that I've learned from. And so people get to read about my life, but they're reading it in little bites. So it's more like, yeah, it's not a complete memoir. It's like snapshots and, and sort of conversations. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, would your intention be that you just right now, you don't want to wait until you're older, whatever, right now you want to inspire women who are maybe in the place you were in even just last year or even like right now and you're trying to solve it? Is that your intention? Exactly, exactly. Sometimes I believe it's difficult for people to feel like they can actually do a thing when they're watching you as a celebrity because you're untouchable at that Mm -hmm. point. The majority of us don't really um, connect to celebrities. We want to be them but they just seem sort of surreal to us, right? 
I think it is more helpful for people to be able to see you go through the journey, to be able to see you still in the struggle because they can relate to that. And so to see my stories written, to read them and to see me right now and be able to actually access me and touch me and know that I'm real and I'm human and I'm right here with them, yet everything that I'm talking about they see it in the writing that I've gone through it, but then they're watching me as I grow. So it looks attainable. Yeah. So it's not here is the finished product of a successful celebrity. It is we're actually seeing someone go through the journey and we feel that we can maybe relate a little bit more and, and empathize with that. And it's helpful to ourselves then as well. That's the idea, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. women need this, you know, women everywhere in the world need this of all of all ages so it can definitely help and now we speak to it, i suppose it's it's many women can help other women so everyday women and they can help everyday women too right i suppose yeah the whole kind of celebrity thing and or even famous male authors female authors you just feel well you know they're from another world so i'm never even gonna yeah. try no we, we we were both pretty lucky you know we didn't grow up in a place that had a rich celebrity culture um, like maybe parts of America would have. You know, I'm in Northern Ireland, PJs in Grand Canaria. There's not that many kind of rich, famous celebrities in, in these two areas. Um, I think that celebrity culture is not always great. And, you know, it's good that you're bringing something a bit more real, you know. Yeah, it's needed. And not only in everyday women, but I actually target a specific subsection of women uh, and we don't really like to use this word as women, but I'm going to call All it right. what it is, misused women <laughs> or seasoned <laughs> women or women of a certain age. You know, we can we can spin it however uh. we like. I believe the stories, the lived experiences, the life lessons of women who are sitting in the heart of being mom today, wife today, girlfriend mm. today. Um, they're at that age where they've got older parents that maybe they're caring for. We typically do not hear the voices of women between the ages of 35 and let's say 60. You, because we're so busy taking care of our children, making sure our husbands are being ultra successful. We're trying to grow. We're trying to take care of our parents. We're trying to do all of these things. We just don't have time to talk to you until we're 70 years old and sharing wisdom. But I think that uh, we've got things that we want to say. There are things that we need to say, and we need a space and opportunity to to say those things. I believe there are 20 and 30-year-old women who need to hear 40 and 50-year-old women stories. They need to know what they're getting ready to come into, right? And they need to hear it from someone who's still relatively close mm-hmm. to it so that it's believable. And I I just don't see spaces for women my age. I'm 45, just, just in case you're wondering. So it's rare that you see everyday 45-year-old women talking about anything because mm. they're too busy making sure everybody yeah. else can talk about what they want talk about so the primary objective was to get this we space in this community I, I just want to mention uh, oh, go ahead pj 
Well, that's a great point because I was just looking at the the sequel from Sex in the City, and mm. the whole point is I think they're trying to make it maybe more kind of universal, so there are people of this LBQT plus and everything. But I think they're missing a point. I think personally that is um, maybe even a damaging kind of portrayal of women in their in their middle age later years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just feel like Hollywood or or literature or culture in general just has no clue, and that and that women above forty, well maybe forty to sixty, as you were saying, yeah, they're completely just um, silenced and yeah. disrespected, and and, they ha- and and kind of society doesn't give them that respect. It might give someone who is clearly you know, the, a grandmother figure, whatever that means, you know, right. and if you're not a grandmother, then you're not respected either. That's terrible too. You know, it's, it's all messed up. Exactly. It's either you're a young hottie dropping it like yeah. it's hot. Right. And, and your yeah. body is perfect or not so perfect, but you're still young and spunky. Right. Or like you said, you are this uh, grandmama, this Madea, um, and you're wise and you're, this sage and everybody just respects you but then you're like where's that whole group (laughs) you know who are you you aren't as perky and who are you before you just know everything Mm -hmm. and are so wise an entire group of women who are just silent and nobody it just seems like nobody really cares and I don't think that people don't care I think that we're just so busy making the world just run like I said at that age you're making sure your children are okay you don't have time to complain about you you don't have time to take care of you You don't because you got to take care of your kids right I don't have time to tell everybody what I need because I have sons in college they Mm -hmm. need me I don't have time to talk about, you know, the fact that, you know, I'm in the prime of my sex life, but I I can't seem to meet a guy at 45, right? And so, because I'm so busy taking care of my older parents. So there's so much that we want to say, or you've got the woman who's ultra successful, she's doing her thing, and yet she can't stop and say, at night, I cry at two o'clock in the morning because... I was sexually abused when I was five. Nobody really cares to hear anything that I have to say because I'm working so hard right now. And I got all these other people I need to take care of. I'll just sit my stuff to the side. There, there's an entire population of women who are sitting in that space. And speak up, sis. I, I love that you said you were attracted to the name. It's a call to action. It's not just the name of the business. It's a call to action. Like, sis. Open up your mouth and speak right now at 35, 45, 65. This is your time. And 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 this magazine is for those women. You can't even pay. This is not a paid space. People can't pay me to put articles. They can't be highlighted by paying me. It's free. Um, I just review the articles to make sure that they fit with, you know, um, the heart of what we're doing. But I specifically go out and look for women who don't have a voice or who think they don't have a voice. And then I give them space and opportunity to talk um, in this magazine. Well, and tell us a little bit more about what the magazine will actually entail then. So you're looking for these women, you know, are they going to be telling their story or exactly what are, what are the pieces going to be? 
Yes, the heart of the magazine will be shared stories. Um, the women can submit articles via the website. Um, excuse me, I'm not big on telling people what to write. I believe that people should speak in the way that feels comfortable for them. So if fitness is a thing, people can submit fitness articles. If faith is their thing, they can submit faith articles. The uh, magazine will be sectioned, however, so people will be able to okay. find what they're looking for easily. So there'll be a section for faith and fitness and finances and fun, right? Kind of that whole mm -hmm. F3. Um, and then there will be articles. We'll decide based on what's submitted, what will go into those different sections. But they will come from everyday women. And I'm looking more for people to share their lived experiences in their articles. So even if it's uh, an expert advice piece, there will need to be that component of I understand this because I've lived this. Now let me share this with you. That sort of what it has to be personal, for. I guess. It needs to be very personal. Very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I'm looking for people who are okay with being vulnerable. Okay. Very much needed, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about your writing being therapeutic for yourself, right? And you've taken sometimes years to write. Um, something just to get it just to kind of trust it to be out there mm -hmm. so is that what you encourage others as well right that if they feel like it they can be therapeutic yeah. uh, but also help others in exactly yeah. i i believe that sharing stories helps to heal um it, it's kind of like when you when you think about someone who is being blackmailed the only way that blackmail works is if you're quiet. Mm. <laughs> That's the only way it works. If yeah, you're yeah. not ashamed of, of your story, then no one can blackmail you. You can't hold something against me that I've already mm. told, right? Good point. And so what I encourage is for people to acknowledge and own the truth of their lives and then they get to control the narrative if they will just open up their mouths and share it. And in doing that, you get to release guilt, shame, self-condemnation, and all that ugliness. And while you're doing that, you sharing your story is actually the breakthrough that someone else needs to encourage them to do the same. So in hearing you share, it allows someone else to say, man, I, I'm going through the same thing and if she made it and she can talk about it, she's not dying, right? Then I can do it. At the, at the heart of my belief system, I believe that authentic conversations help to build resiliency mm -hmm. in people. And when we can get to a place where we can just sit down and talk about things without um, all those funky feelings and, and people making you feel some kind of way, when you can get beyond that, then you can build those bounce back muscles. I think we'll have, we would have a lot less depression and anxiety and, um, you know, feelings of hopelessness if people felt confident and comfortable to just talk and share and not hold that stuff in. Good. So yeah, most definitely. Well, most importantly then, why don't you tell us the website where people can go and look, you know, read a bit more and subscribe to the magazine? 
Okay, speak up sis magazine. There we go. I want to change yeah. tack yeah. real quick yeah. before we let you go because you you, you mentioned that you okay. taught literature and uh, may not yeah. may not come as a massive surprise that uh, we're both fans of that. What what did you like to teach? What was your favorite kind of thing that you taught? Oh goodness. I let me see. There's so many. I actually like teaching short stories. Okay. Um one of my favorite uh, that I taught was The Most Dangerous Game. Um, I don't know if you all are familiar with The Most Dangerous Game. With uh, I've heard of it, but I've not read it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I, I'm trying to think which movie. There was a movie that sort of uh, mirrored that. I think it was with Denzel Washington. Was it Fallen? There's this... Uh, Song time is on my side. Anyway, it stuck in my head because it was just... so. Anyway, what happened? They were hunting him. Right. And so this, the most dangerous game, is about this guy named Rainsford who gets shipwrecked. Um, and he 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 notices that a gun sound, and it sounds like you know maybe they're hunters, but he recognizes the sound. The 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 bullet is like. This sounds like a little gun, not a big gun, not a big mm. game uh, shooting. But anyway, he gets to this big palatial home on this island. He meets this uh, aristocratic guy and everything seems cool. But what, what, what ends up happening is the guy actually gets people on the island and hunts them. <laughs> so, they become the, so humans are the big game. Anyway, kind of morbid, yep. but it's really fun to teach and the students really liked it. At first, they couldn't, you know, they were like, what's the big game is, right? Like, right? <laughs> so it's a game. <laughs> so it's a game. Yeah, yeah, it's like a... And yet, he is the game, right? So, anyway, that was one it's of interesting... my favorites. I just... It's an interesting feed. Yeah. I looked it up there to see if I could find the movie, the Denzel movie, but apparently there is actually a... Fallen? I couldn't find it, but I did find that there's a TV show based on the on the this short story as well. So apparently it's been adapted several times. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna have to find okay. that, that, that. Oh, show. PJ, do you have anything? Short stories are my favorite. Do you have anything else you'd like to ask PJ before we wrap up? Uh, no, I just uh, I think it's great what you're doing, and I really um, really recommend it. Looking forward to reading more of the magazine, and. Um, yeah, it's great that you're giving um, giving voices to these to mm -hmm. this demographic, to these women. So keep doing it, and I hope it becomes maybe more international as well. But there's a lot to do in the U.S., I'm sure, but yeah. everywhere around the world, this is this is needed. So Speak Up Sis is actually my company. It's Speak Up Sis LLC. The magazine is just Part of one that. space. We are an international company. I work with. Um, oh, good. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, there are, we've got uh, people that we work with in some uh, African countries in mm -hmm. Cameroon and Nigeria. Um, and okay. so, yeah, we do things internationally. The magazine clearly is new. So we're working on, you all are my <laughs> first international um, interview with the magazine. So I appreciate you all <laughs> so much. <laughs> You're you're making yeah, history today. Who would have thought that? We thought we were just talking about books, PJ. Today we are the history. You're there. One day <laughs> you're gonna go. History. You're gonna say, "Oh my gosh, she was on our show." 
Yeah, I know. Like Angel Shermaine. I mean, this is this is amazing. Well, that's yeah, us, Angel. Thank you very, very much for calling in, and we look forward to reading some more. Thank you. I appreciate you. You all have a wonderful day. And you too. Thanks. Okay. You too. Bye bye. Well, that was a lovely, uh, lovely surprise. As always, we we love when everyone calls into the show and. Any author should feel free to do that, particularly if we're talking about your stuff. PJ, as I was going to say before, I read this, and I'm only going to spend two or three minutes on this because it doesn't require much. But I, I said I really wanted to read something fun and exciting. And of course, I chose Scenes of Clerical Life by George Eliot. And this, this is pretty boring stuff. Uh, I'm sure that, that oh, doesn't wow. come as a surprise. It's three novellas. It's three novellas. And I'll just sort of say a minute or two on each one. Um, but the idea is we get little snapshots into scenes of um, really their, their pastors and reverends and things in these small towns, this like small town England, uh, George Eliot style. So, so it's so it's uh, Father Ted kind of. Um, uh, well, without the humor, maybe. So the first one is called right. Amos Barton. Now, I don't have a lot to say about this one. Um, basically... Amos Barton is the name of the pastor, right? And they're just in like a sleepy little market town and there's not really a lot going on, but people complain about, oh, we've got this preacher, but this other preacher's better and all this kind of stuff. That's what happens in, in all of these um, stories. I mean, really, they're, they're fairly boring. But the crux of the first one is a countess comes to stay for some reason. And the countess is staying with them, but she stays so long that people start to think, are they having an Hold affair? On. And there's scandal and gossip. Oh. And the countess is, uh, the, the, the pastor's wife is starting to kind of be like, well, this is really putting me in a bad light. And there's all this gossip about my husband and all this kind of stuff. And then is she even going to believe it, you know? Um, oh, it's very easily solved. So the, the crisis is very, very quickly averted when the housekeeper lady just tells the kindness to get out. She's like, you're ruining everything. You're terrible. You're bringing scandal on the family. And the kindness is like, oh no, well, if I go then, crisis averted. And that's the story. <laughs> that's it. All right. Well, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> so that's it. I'll do the second one last because I've actually got something to say about it. The third one, oh, okay, uh, Janet's Repentance. <laughs> it's the shortest of all. Uh, sorry, it's the longest, but I've got the least to say. It's it's really, really, very really dull. And um, this poor girl, Janet, um, she has a bad life. Her husband's mean to her. I think he physically beats her at times and she has to run off and seek refuge with her mother. So real issues are being dealt with. Um, but there's just not really a lot happens, you know. And the husband's a vile chap. And at one point, someone tries to stand up to him. And he takes his whip to the servant. He's like, why is my horse not ready? And he's like, well, I'll go get it now. He's like, ah, it's too late. And he whips him across the face, you know. Yeah, and then, he owed my kingdom, my kingdom for a horse to Richard. Wow. Richard III kind of treatment here. <laughs> but the only, it the, the only reason... It sounds very dull. It's not great. How do you have to patience? How do you have to patience for me on this? They're only like, I was just... I was just that's why I read Dr. Seuss, you know, I would try <laughs> something like this. I do try to read other books, listeners, but like, yeah. um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have the patience to read all this, all this nonsense. The only thing I want to say about it is George Eliot does attempt humor once. Um, oh, and right. at one point they're putting on a play, which everyone thinks is very moral, you know, and she tries to do Dickens and have the character names say something. And this isn't relevant to the story. It's just on a playbill. So she just pastes a full page of just this is the playbill. And it's... Um, you know, Mr. Saintly Smoothface as Mr. Triadon, 
Mr. Worming Sneaker, also as Mr. Triadon. Mr. All Grace No Work, also as Mr. Triadon. So all these, like, you know, silly names that are meant to say something. Uh, Mr. Flightum, oh, Fo- Mr. Foist himself everywhere, you know. So there's a, one attempt is made at, um, at a small amount of humor. But look, the only one that really deserves mentioning is Mr. Guilfield's love story. So this couple, this kind of rich English couple, they go to Italy and then, I can't remember why, but they just bring a kid home with them. They're just like, this kid looks like she needs help. They just bring her home to England. Um, they don't adopt her because they think, well, she is sort of foreign, so we're not going to adopt her officially. Um, we're just going to have this like a time. They, like lo- they sound like a lovely couple. Like, well, the kind actually, of couple we like to have them. In the end, as she grows up, they are very nice to her. And they do develop a nice, um, a nice bond with her, and they treat her like a daughter, even though it's not official. Yeah, they keep the distance. It's just like you're not. Are they literally saying to the daughter every morning, "Just remember, you're you're not her daughter." No, she, get along, but the the father is more more loving to her, and he calls her his little monkey, um, because she's always kind of getting. That's up not his... nice at all. <laughs> so what do you mean? You just you just, uh, you just take an Italian girl from her country and just call her monkey, and then no, no, say, it's because she's it, you're not the daughter. Getting up to mischief, I guess, but she's not really. I don't know. But there's two there's two guys in this house. There's a guy that she grows up with um, called, um, well, that's Mr. Guilfell, actually. And it's his love story. Hmm. And she really, really likes him as a friend, but he's in love with her. And she always says, no, unfortunately, I'm not oh. in love with you, you know? Oh, Lord. But there's this other chap who is really just a, a bad sort of chap altogether. And oh. for some reason... She loves him, but he's engaged to someone else. So he kind of has a bit of an affair with her. Now, they don't sleep together. It's Victorian England, but he courts her, you know. Oh, and then it's like, well, this is not good because you're supposed to marry this other lady. And we have this love square. And look, no one cares about this. No one's gonna, ever going to read this. So I'm going to spoil the ending. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, in the end, the guy that the guy, she, she, she takes a dagger one day. And she's like, this man is leading me on, but he has no real intentions towards me. And she walks out with a dagger to kill him. And ter- turns out she finds him already dead. He's like fallen off his horse and had a fever or something. So he's dead anyway. As happens every day, you know? So, yeah. I mean, and then, it sounds very Mario and Ella dramatic. It is a bit. It's, it's very Mario and dramatic. But not quite as good. No, not, not, not good. nearly as good. So then she runs away. And she's just like, well, I'm, go- I'm done. I'm just going to run away and live my life, you know, somewhere. And she finds a servant and they bring her back and they say, look, it's okay. Here's the one guy. He'll look after you. And then she finally falls in love and marries him, has a baby and dies. So. Right. I think I'd rather spend my time, <laughs> I don't know, like marinating onions and washing for our heads. Than, it was, that one was fun, but overall, uh, I'm not necessarily recommending. It's not uh, fun. Well, it's just bad parents' advice. You know, <laughs> mean, like, get some Italian girl and then call a monkey. There's a bit of romance and drama, though. There's a bit of romance and drama. We like you, but just you're not a dog. <laughs> it's a bit, mal- mal- you know, it's a bit dramatic, I suppose, yeah. Well, the last book is better. Um, the only thing is, there's a one little mention where they start talking a lot about the doctors of the time. So if you want a little Middle Marsh throwback, but look, the last book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah we we love that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, exactly what I mean. Now, yeah. Well, look, well, you know, I, I've never read George Eliot, but you're really n- not wanting me to read George Eliot. Was all of your reviews? I'm very sorry. Uh, Silas like, Marner. You're not putting her in it. No, dude, Silas Marner was the only good one. 
Well, I mean, but you consider it classy. So, I mean, you listeners, why is Middle March such a big thing? I like to hear an opinion as well. Um, is it follow- and also, is it following the Anna Karenina method? Let's get that phrase out there to the literary world. And then, I hope the next book was something a bit more, you know, jovial. The next so. book was amazing. All right, so, good. What was it? This is called Unfettered Journey by Gary F. Now, I'm going to see if I pronounce this right, Bengier or Bengier. And this okay, chap yeah, was the, the original chief financial officer of eBay when they formed that company. Oh, serious? Yeah. So originally, I was kind of worried, like, oh, is this going to be, you know, he's written a book. Is it going to be some kind of, um, you know, super capitalist kind of? No, it's not. It's a, it's a proper novel. And it's brilliant. Now, it's a little bit longer. It's 500-odd pages, you know. So it's, it's your just slightly above average-length novel. Um, and it's split into four or five parts. I really, really loved this book. Um, so there's well, this chap, right? And what he wants to do is take a sabbatical year from, from his work to think about how do we get artificial intelligence to be real, Right. Not just to pass the... This is set in the future, okay? So it's not just get robots to pass okay, the jury okay. test or anything like that. It's like, how do we actually make them have that same level of like free will and self-consciousness that a human has? And he looks at these robots. This, this world has robots all around. And they're doing jobs. Even some of the police are robots, for example. You know, they're, they're doing a lot of the work. And everyone has a PETA, which is this personal little robot thing that kind of follows you around and does things for you. And, you know, super Alexa, if you will. But what it, what it means is the people are becoming more robotic themselves in the sense that they're, they're not living normal human experiences. They're just relying on these machines for everything. So he turns his off eventually. And that's the opening scene of the book is he shuts it down. And it keeps sort of begging him not to shut it down, you know, trying to look, almost emulate human emotions. But he keeps saying that these machines right. don't have real emotions. They're, they're faking okay. it. They're faking it very, very well. Right but they're faking it, he thinks. Okay. So he goes on this sabbatical year where he goes to a university to study and speak with people. And what does he study? He wants to talk about physics, right? Um, And mathematics and philosophy. So he realizes that these things are kind of all linked and he wants to look into free will. Sounds a bit like our mutual friend. A little bit about like our mutual friend. Playboy Alex, potentially. Like our mutual friend. But, yeah, you know, we studied yeah, free will guess... in university, and it's, it's a topic that well, I find yeah, very interesting. Yeah, totally. And, you know, so he speaks to these different professors, and they, they, they provoke his thoughts in these different ways. And he wants to find out, you know, about free will and determinism. And there's scenes of the book where we look at Socrates and Acrasia, right. uh, weakness of will. There's bits where we, we look into people like Hume. Um, we talk about platonic, perfect platonic forms, you know, there's okay. almost Huxley-esque dystopian bits where they're taking these emoticon bundles um, to make them feel better. They have these pitas and they also have nests that they're yeah. wired into. So you don't get a hangover because you adjust you, the settings on your device that you're plugged into all the time that makes yeah. you more hydrated. You don't you feel sick because it automatically gives you the paracetamol or whatever. Like this, <laughs> these machines that are wow. basically, you've got these, you know, you're, 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 you're chipped and you're hooked up into these things that are just doing everything for you. And... Um, but it's not ultra capitalist because you're not working. You're only allowed to work 12 hours a week. Because the robots are doing most of the okay. work. 
Now, unfortunately, in this book, they do... So it's not a dystopian novel. Yeah. I think it's dystopian. Um, because okay. they, they yeah. deliberately work I mean... more than the 12 hours. And I'll tell you why it's not dystopian, PJ. Um, because there's a lot... That sounds like a complete novel in itself. That's like a, a sixth mm. of what happens in the book. Um, he right. now meets a girl called Evie. And she realizes, like, this world around us isn't good. She's the Orwellian character. And, and he is as well. But she's, she's revolutionary. You know, maybe he's the Orwellian character where he realizes things are wrong, but he's not doing a lot about them. She's, like, she's running a revolution. Yeah, okay. She's running a... But he's the Wilson uh, character, yeah. Yeah. Now, what happened is all the factories and all the production was actually turned over to the state and everything was nationalized because there was no need for people to work. So in theory, everything should be equality and fairness. But then they brought back mm. the capitalism by bringing in levels. So everyone gets a mm. basic sustenance, a basic level. But if you want more, then they bring back this tiered hierarchical society where certain people are higher levels than others. You're not allowed to talk to the people on a lower level than you. You're not allowed to hang out with them. And then you have these credits. Right, right. It becomes And they have these credits that you can use for luxuries if you're on the higher levels. So everyone gets a basic life, but if you want to be better and be capitalist, you still can. Um, so it's interesting that it's kind of a mixing. Wow. It's like low-level communism, but then there's like a capitalist veneer on top of it, you know. And Evie yeah, wants to fight this and bring down bring down the system. And you're gonna like this bitch. It's brilliant. She takes him to her town. She lives in a different part of the town. And that's with more real people, family businesses, not run by, you know, barbers who aren't robots, people like who are friends and you know, and they've got like dark currency that they can use and people who actually have a community because he has no community. They live in this almost, he is the robot almost in the world he's living in. She shows him the real world and real community. Unfortunately, there's also some kind of battle bot arena in her part of the time, which gives it a bad reputation. But we start to see a lot of these things about the reputation are all media campaigns. And we think we can't trust the media in this world. And there's a lot of propaganda, you see. And they go to a fancy soiree and they get arrested. Mm. And then the book moves into a totally different phase. But I should just quickly mention, because it's a bit you'll like, Mm. before they get arrested, they just go and chill for a few days and they go surfing every day and they talk philosophy and they hang out. Wow. They make love great. and go surfing and have a good time. And he gets to experience life. That's, that's a the good Canarian time. life, you know, <laughs> that's a, that's a good time. I like that combination. Yeah. Making love, surfing and philosophizing. That's good. But then, yeah, they get arrested and they go, well, essentially they get exiled. Um, PJ. Another thing you like is that everyone in this book is essentially a vegan. Some of them eat fish, but more or less they're all vegan. <laughs> right, okay. Okay. Cool. I definitely want to read this novel. How- because there's problems with... The, the, this is set post-climate yeah. crisis, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm convinced people will become vegan, not, be, not just hmm. because of the spiritual... Now, what you might not like though. is these two particular main characters eventually have to give up their veganism because they're, thro- they're thrown out into a wilderness. They're exiled to, a, to an empty, barren desert in the middle of America <laughs> post-climate change. <laughs> and all they can do is, is kill the animals like a radical... <laughs> Yeah, well, that makes sense. You know what I mean? If, you, if you're in a survival state. It's kind of more tragic, isn't it? Because one of become vegan now, they're forced to do things they don't want to do. So it gives it a tragic element. Yeah, this sounds it like is. a great novel. I would love to Man, read this. this is, now, this is the novel I would love to year. read. 
Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. And the, the, the amount of philosophy they talk about, and I'm thinking about Hume's necessary connections and Socrates okay. and all this different stuff, but there's stuff in it for people interested in AI, there's stuff in it for mathematicians and, philo- and physicians, uh, and physicists, yeah. sorry, as well as it's philosophers. While they're exiled, they meet another family and they form their own little, not a tribal community, but like really back to earth, no technology, which is crazy for these people whose entire lives is surrounded by technology. And the one guy's wow. really gruff and he's kind of like, you're not having anything without trading. Everything's going to be equal, equal labor, equal trade. But then as they become friends, he becomes really, really kind to them afterwards. He kind of hides behind that exterior, that, that facade of, you know, not being friendly. And there's a part where Evie starts thinking about life. And he says, do you mean the life of your two friends who were also exiled and possibly dead? And she says, no, I'm thinking about new life. I think I'm pregnant. Wow, okay. Well, don't, don't, don't spoil it. I'm not going to go any further. Okay. No, I'm not going to go any further. Um, but uh... that there's a lot more. The, diff- the different four parts of the book, I mean, it gets really actiony near the end. Like the different four parts are almost different types of, you know, genre twists almost you know it's really really brilliant um unfettered journey i really really recommend it to anyone wow okay and the author is called gary f bengier b-e-n-g-i-e-r and he had that career and then he did i know wild but so good and so informed and a lot of work and a lot of research you know and a lot of intelligence went into the book you know yeah wow that's great well Um, um before we, I'm just going to mention real quick, don't forget everyone, please go to our Patreon and check out all of our other shows. And of course, booksboys.com is our overall website. I also just released two episodes of Forensic Friends on Patreon uh, today as well. So there's lots of stuff up there. But PJ, why don't you tell us about uh, your recommendation for this month? Well, I, rec- I recommend a very lengthy novel, which doesn't follow the Anna Karnarina method. I think it's over a thousand pages. It's called Eine uh, Billion Dollar in German. And it's been translated as $1 trillion. Uh, it is in translation. The author is Andreas Eschbach. He is one of my favorite German authors. He's, a, he's more of a sci-fi author, but it just reminds me a bit of the author you mentioned. He's not really the typical sci-fi author. He's more like, kind of like, you see, like, like a vision he has from the future or a vision he has of how capitalism can, can go differently. And $1 billion is about, $1 trillion, sorry, is a concept of, someone investing uh, 500 years ago during the Renaissance and then waiting that the bank account gets opened 500 years later. And this this guy in New York just one day gets notified that he has $1 trillion and it's so much money that I didn't really know about proportions, but it's interesting. The book is huge. It's um, designed as if it were one big dollar. So it's all agreed. And each page, instead of being like, one page one it's page one million uh going onwards and it's and it and and sometimes like there are little notes where it's like page uh 140 million i think it's yeah 140 million is like you know the set economy of a certain country and then the further mm-hmm. it goes it ends up being like i'm not even sure if the yeah it just ends up like talking about the countries or about a particular person having this much money and it's basically about this guy um yeah, he just what what is he going to do with all this money? Because he could change the world, basically. So, so John Salvatore is his name, and he's of okay. Italian heritage. Sounds uh, really really uh, interesting. Yeah, so this concept basically, okay, I'm going to invest this money to change the world, but he gets um, involved with a guy who who he thinks can help him out, but 
he's not sure if the intentions after what I'm not sure the intentions are as good as he thinks. And it turns out, this is just a slight spoiler, but I think it's important that although his intentions are really good from John Salvatore, he has so much money that he realizes as he starts yachting around the world and just living Mm. the billionaire's life. He eventually goes to the Philippines and he's shocked at the conditions. And he said, what is going on here? Who, Who is your boss? Let me go to him. And they bring him to this place and they say, well, I'm the boss. And they say, well, who's your superior and he said, well, actually, it, it's you. You own pretty much wow. the whole world and you've caused. But I find it interesting because I think people like, you know, Zuckerberg, do they, do they even know like or even Jeff Bezos? Do they know what harm they're doing? Mm. I don't like to think that they're just evil people. They're just no, clever people. Dude, but I think it is impossible yeah. to be a billionaire and be a good person. Im- impossible. No matter what. You well, do. I think the intention is good, but there's so much going on. It's like a president, really, like. I don't want to mention any presidents, but I don't know if presidents are evil. They're just, you know what I mean? Like there's there's some presidents where it's like, oh, he's such an evil guy. But yeah, maybe. But I'm sure the intention was. You're not mentioning any names, and we're both thinking of the same. I'm not mentioning any names. Yeah, maybe some, maybe particular blonde or blonde, uh, dark people, orange colored. But I'm just saying, general. I think it's kind of like the response is put on them, but they don't really know how much they're causing. They can't. They can't yeah. control it. So the book is about that. Yeah, and there's really also good. a love story. And there's a love story involved as well. And of course. It's been translated. This one has been translated into English. So read it. Eine Billion Dollar in German or one trillion dollar. So it's helpful by Andreas Eschbach. It might be helpful to learn it. Uh, yeah. Unless you so, want to practice your journey. My recommendation, um, I've only read snippets of this, but it's actually a book belonging to Playboy Alex. And it's the Wadsworth oh. Anthology of Drama. Sixth edition oh. by W.B. Worthen. And he just showed me this. The book costs about £200. So if you've got a lot of money to yeah, fork out, you know, buy He's it. He's told me about it, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I looked through it, and it takes different kinds of plays. So we start with, like, Greek and Roman stuff. We move through Renaissance stuff. There's a section for, um, you know, Asian plays, European plays, modern American plays. We move through time and geographical location to study different plays and there's little bits of information and context about the plays and then obviously each one is a few recommended you know a few plays are given that you can read in full so if you want to read some theater and different types and really explore it and you've got 200 pounds to spend it's a really really good way in <laughs> but he's told me of, of the book many times i think yeah. it's his precious book but it does sound like a very good i mean if you really want to get into it world theater and i'm just so you know i'm always informing myself about world theater but i find hard to find a good book that teaches me about everything so that is a good investment mm-hmm. and you know what if you like plays on our patreon we do playboys and we talk about plays oh. all the time guys all the time so i mean you don't have to spend 200 uh, uh american dollars you, you know you can also and listen to us listen to us talk about world theater we talk about norwegian plays big in the spanish plays um Billy O. Shakespeare is a big one with us. He's very popular. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and many other plays. I think that's Fire us plays. done. Next month, we are going to have our big uh, two year anniversary. And um, today, we're going to. Now, there's no DJ to play the record. I'm going to have to do it myself. Um, but today, because Alfred's oh. off, we are going to close with an old song that we did together. And um, I think in around 2015, 2016, from the Nostalgia EP, uh, Journey of the Eagle. <laughs> So we're going to play that one and I will spin the records myself and we will be back in about a month.
See ya!
Books Boys was presented by The Dean and PJ Burke in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Help for Rappers. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either podsafe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash booksboys, get the show early, and all of our bonus booth fan the boys shows. And you can also check out our music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! Uh, hello there! Ah, uh, how are you? Ah, uh, Jesus, I haven't seen this since the last meeting now. I can't do it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.